Matthew 16, 13 through 20. You can find it in your worship guide. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be lost in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Right, so we have been going through Hebrews all semester. We are now going to turn our attention uh, to just uh, the organization of the local body of believers. And uh, we've been joking all week that this is probably not like the grandest place of devotion in your life is to understand the organization of the local church. But in just our history, it, is, it will be really, really good. Uh, when we started four and a half years ago, uh, anytime you start something new, um, like a church, uh, it's pretty scary. And it's a really risky proposition um, because everything is so new. And if you want to get into church planting, you cannot be risk averse because everything is a risk. Because everything that you're, you're trying or everything that you're doing has literally never done, been done before by you. Now, you have, may have been part of something like that, but in a new season, new people, those kinds of things. Uh, but church planting was a blast. And I use the word was because it was four and a half years ago. Church planting was a blast. I mean, it just, it was one of those places where all of us were praying likely at a higher level. Or we were taking steps of faith that we've never done before. And so over and over and over, it challenged this little fledgling group of people to be real about our relationship with Jesus and be real about whether we love the people that are around us. It really was a remarkable, um, uh, a remarkable season. Uh, but it was scary and it was risky. Uh, we were always asking, are, is this thing going to survive? Um, will there be anybody besides us that shows us? Will we go broke? either personally or as an organization. Just over and over and over, we kept asking these questions, and none of those questions had real answers. We simply did not know, and yet we, yet we stepped in one step at a time over and over and over. But the riskiest of all of those questions, right, and it, I think it was probably an, an under, undercurrent, but the riskiest of all of those conversations is, is who's in charge around here? Like, like, who really, when, when, where does the buck stop? Like, who's in charge? So four and a half years ago, we did start uh, Redstone Church, and we had a church leader, right? We had a church planter that was really, really good, right? And that's, that's all God's providence to us. But what if something had gotten sideways, right? 
Praise God that nothing got sideways. But what if something had gotten sideways and things went a little crazy? I think everybody's first question would have been, all right, so who do we ask or who do we tell or, or what happens now? And so the reason that we look at these types of structures here and now is for us to all have some kind of, of terms in which we get to ask the question, who's in charge and who's in charge around here? We've taken this idea of leadership and who's in charge very, very seriously. And so that's the reason we would not move unless we felt that Jesus was moving us. We wanted every step of the way to be a supernatural one. We didn't want it to be of human effort or human wisdom. We wanted God to open up doors and for us to step through those for sure. And every time we forced an issue, and we, we forced our, our, the issue many times, but every time we got a rap on the hands, right, and things would fall apart, we would f- immediately feel like, oh, we're pressing too hard. We're not waiting upon the Lord anymore. But the Lord also, you know, he was leading us. But early on, he, he gave us an advisory team. And so we were, put, we were putting pastors, local pastors around us to literally tell us this is a really, really bad idea. Or to give this kind of endorsement. We had a leadership team around us. A couple of years ago, we were able to ordain our very first elder in Jerry Williams. And so things began immediately, almost overnight with Jerry's uh, addition to, to become a little bit more stable. And on and on it goes. Um, a, year, a little over a year ago, we brought another pastor in full-time with Daniel. And so we've just continued to trust the Lord, but also to take this idea of leadership very, very carefully. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to ask the question, or hopefully we'll answer the question, who's in charge, right? Who's in charge around here? Because that's a very important question. It's important to our worship because we have to, it's a place of faith. And so every time we pray to the Lord, we're trusting him to do what he is saying that he was going to do, that his promises are going to be real from everlasting to everlasting. But there are times where we take a step of faith in the people in this room And we have to trust that they are walking with Jesus and following Jesus. I had um, a mentor one time, his name is Elliot Grudem. And he says that there's never been a church that has been closed down with bad preaching. He says, now there's a lot of bad preachers out there. And he was pointing to all of us. Y'all are all very bad preachers in in the scope scope of things. But your bad preaching will not shut down your organizations. What is going to shut down churches is bad leadership. Either exerting power that does not belong to you or withdrawing from authority that you have. It's either being a jerk and moving way too forward too fast and abusing your power or walking back and shirking away from authority and actually abdicating the authority that has been given to us. And so with that, we just continue to walk. We, we ask ourselves, what is, you know, who's in charge around here? It was really, really great to plant. But if we're going to plant again, if we're going to actually have more churches, like to be birthed out of this place, this is one of the most fundamental places. And so that's why we started in Philippians 1. You can turn there in your scriptures or in your worship guide. You'll see it. It's actually on the bottom, not on top, but the, the, the big one on the bottom of your, of your page. That means Philippians 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Okay. So who runs the church? Let's look at Philippians 1. 
we are not going to preach from this passage every week, but hopefully we will bring this passage to our reminder because this is a good, this is a snapshot, maybe even one of the best snapshots in the scriptures to tell us who's in charge around here. Okay, so uh, Paul is writing uh, to a church in uh, the city of Philippi. And so the book is simply called Philippians, right? These are the, to the people of uh, the Philippians. And he says this, Paul and Timothy, a servant of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And you see all these kind of just prepositional phrases, boom, da, boom, da, boom. Paul, Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. There you go. Memorize that. That would be an amazing memory verse for you guys if you're into this kind of thing. And hopefully we will be into this kind of things of who's in charge around here. And so here we go. In this one verse, we have a kind of a basic structure. First and foremost, we see that we are servants of Christ Jesus and we are saints in Christ Jesus. Over and over and over again throughout the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the author. He is the foundation or, you're right, he, of our faith. So who runs the church? I hope that nobody in here, but I think this is a natural inclination for all of us. But hopefully after today, hopefully none of us in here will look to the guy with a microphone strapped to his face. I'm not in charge. Thank Jesus for all that. Amen? You can laugh or say amen. I am not in charge. The elders are not in charge. It is Christ Jesus who is on the top of the organizational chart. It's his church. And so when we're asking the questions... Who's in charge around here? Who runs the church? Paul gives us a snapshot of that, but he tells us that we are saints in Jesus. That we, Paul and Timothy, are servants of Jesus. He is the author. He is the finisher. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the foundation. But then we do see some kind of government going. And at the very end, here we see that there are with the overseers, right, and the deacons. So look at that. The very, very end in the ESV uses overseers. We would use elders. Some people use bishops. All of these words are interchangeable, but we'll just use these. Overseers or elders with the overseers of the church, right? But then there's these things called deacons. All right, so you have to have some kind of collective of people who make up these el this eldership or overseership or this, uh, this deacon or what we would call the diaconate, which is very, very, a pretty strong word. So we're governed by elders. We're, we're governed by overseers. But then we're managed, right? There's actually real ministry teams that should be managed by deacons. But you can't look to just the elders or to the deacons because that would be an incomplete understanding of who is running the place. If you just kind of look at people who have titles, that's ruining the picture as well. Let's keep going. What do you see? You say, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all what? To all the saints. So we cannot forget that there is a corporate reality. There is a congregational element to the idea or the organism that is made up of the Jesus of the, of the church so we are comprised of all the saints and as we would say it around here is that you are a member of this church uh, you call this place home that is who is 
They have associated themselves with a particular someone and they are made up by the collective. But then the first couple of words is that there are real people. It's not just the collective. If we, and that can get out of balance if we're only thinking about the collective. There's still a guy named Paul and a guy named Timothy. You guys have real names, first, middle, and last names, and you are super important and vital to this congregation to help build itself up in love, as Philippians, or, uh, Ephesians 4 would say, that you have to realize that you are not just a part of the corporate, but you as an individual, you matter. Jesus saved you. In the same way that Jesus is talking to the churches in Revelation, right, to the churches in Ephesus or Thessalonica and so forth, he's also calling you out by name. And in the same way that Paul and Timothy is the same way that he would say, you know, Colin and Carly. They just happen to be on the front row. So don't sit in the front row, you get called out. But then it goes on. If you look at other places or other introductions that Paul would say, sometimes he has a little clarification. He doesn't know it here, but I'll just go ahead and add it. And he would say Paul, and he would have a little comma or something like that, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He would actually equate himself and his name, and he would attach a gift to himself. There's actually a spiritual gift that has been attached to you, and that has become your spiritual act of worship to other people around you. And so that is kind of a complete picture of the government or who is in charge around here. It's Jesus. Yes. Is it the elders? Yes. Is it deacons? Yes. Is it congregation? Yeah. Is it individuals? Yes. Is it the individuals who are walking around literally carrying these specific gifts that are unlike other people around them? The answer is yes. For the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to explore kind of the interworkings of all of these. And hopefully our worship will grow. Because after leaving this morning, I hope that we will begin to worship Jesus for being the, the one who builds the church. He is the one who starts it and those types of things. But as we go into even just what does it mean to be an elder or overseer? What does it mean to be a deacon? What does it mean to be a part of the corporate? We continue to grow in love for one another. In a practical way, um, this is really urgent for us and it's timely for us because coming up next month, hopefully we will appoint our very first deacons. We don't have deacons around here. We're blessed to have uh, elders. We're blessed to have other pastors, right? But we haven't officially appointed uh, a deacon. So in May, we're actually going to bring out um, uh, um, deacons and that's a really, really exciting thing for, for our, our, our congregation. So this kind of message or these messages are very timely. Okay, so as mentioned before, um, this affects our worship. And that's a good thing. But also, understanding who's in charge actually does a second thing. It also places restraints. Right? So it actually adds to our worship. Right? Thank you, Jesus, for running this place. But knowing that there's an authority structure actually does a second thing that's beneficial for your heart. It actually puts restraints on you. And it puts a restraint on your life as the absolute and total independent agent. As, an, as a people, we are an independent people. Right? As we are known for being individuals. 
We're known less as a corporate reality and more for individual power. And so um, in the old days, like let's just take a very familial culture like Italy or even um, the Middle East. They're known by their people groups, right? So they're known as a collective. When you think about the African nations, they're known as their people groups and they're holistic. In America, we're known for the guys who have climbed to the top of the ladders. So we're known for the president of the United States or the major CEO of a company because we're so individualistic. And so when we put ourselves underneath authority, that's the question who's in charge. When we do that, when we subject ourselves to something else or someone else is actually putting a restraint on our independent nature. We don't need anybody, our hearts will say. I don't need you guys, says your mind. And yet the scriptures would say otherwise. As a culture, uh, we are people who have rejected authority in total. I picked out a a quote from Nelson Mandela. Um, He was a political leader in South Africa. He was even the president from 94 to 97. And one of his most famous quotes, and this just kind of, he is pushing, he is a a foreteller, he's a prophet of what is, what we've experienced the last 25 years. Mandela would say, he says, I am the master of my fate. I am the master of my soul. That's crazy. But he believed it. And he wanted you to believe it. And we have. That you are the master of your fate. And that you are the master of your soul. Been quoted over and over and over. Because it's cool to say or it sounds great. But it's just not true. The mantra of our time and age is um, that uh, we love absolute freedom. Right? I mean, we're Americans. We're red-blooded Americans. By God, eh? Give me my freedom or give me death. And so I don't know why I went into another um, accent there, but it's true. It's true. And I believe it. I don't have to say the accent. I mean, I believe it. Like, give me my freedom. I mean, you are a bunch of idiots. I mean, I can run this place so much better, says everybody in here. If you've been to a restaurant, who is in charge of this place? If you've been on an airline lately, who would give you these pretzels? I mean, you just, you over and over, you're better at whatever job that you're comparing yourself to. And they're all idiots and you're always amazing. Right? That's, that's the dialogue. And y'all giggle because it's true. Go ahead and say, that's me. That's me. I'm better than everybody. I know better. Man, what is Trump doing? Really? If I had the keys to that office, I'd tell you. I go, there goes the accent again. I don't know where I'm going. But here we go. So we're known for independence. That's what we do. All right, and this is what iPhone has actually, uh, the, uh, the Mac or Apple has done for us. They created this, this suite of products that start with I. iPhone, iTunes, iPad, da, da, da. We, and that's, a, that's a good thing. Because, again, like Mandela, they are, he's been, they are being prophets. They're telling us what we really believe about ourselves is that I have complete authority over my life. And they've just allowed the products that we use to have complete customization according to my needs and according to my wants. Long gone are the days of this corporate identity. And yet Jesus says that he's building something that looks more corporate than individual. One more example is this idea of, of we are all drifting toward what's, what, what people have called a gig economy. All right? And so what has this, where musicians would go out and get a gig. Remember that? Play on stage, right? And you get tips or whatever. That's, that's a gig. 
Uh, maybe an artist would go and draw or do something amazing on a street corner. Like that, that's a gig. Um, you think about um, musician or uh, magicians or even comedians that would just have to go out themselves and get a gig. That used to be sequestered to just the arts, but now it's just it's everywhere. I mean, you can use Uber and you can become your own identity and you don't have to like clock in or clock out ever, ever again. We are all personal and independent consultants and we're able to do whatever we want to do. That's a thread of independence. That's a thread of re- rejecting everything else so that your freedom can win at the end of the day. All, things, all these things are beautiful. They are a part of God's design. He's made you to long for freedom. He's longed, he made you to long for this idea that you are worth and you have dignity. Those are, ty- but those are good, but if you swing the pendulum too far, it'll go too far. We were built as a people. We were built, says the Bible, to be a people, to be individuals underneath authority. How do you flourish as a human being? You flourish when you're underneath authority. Now, every American, every red-blooded American hates that phrase. And you don't think it's true. Or you may logically think it's true, but you don't act like it's true. You don't see human flourishing the way that God designed us as one who is under authority. Then why would Jesus, when crying out for his independence... Lord, if there's any other way, that's a cry of independence. If there's any other way, and then what's the clause that should be in all of our hearts? It's not my will, but it's yours. Jesus, the perfect human, the epitome of all humanity, is a man who puts himself underneath the authority of the Father. If it was good enough for him, it better be good enough for us. Jesus knows that as independent ages, when we get too far, there's this thing called pride. And pride is the downfall of every human heart. It really is awful. And so the idea is that um, because we're Christians, as believers in Jesus, right, coming into an area like this, we are people who have, we have put ourselves underneath someone else's headship. You call yourself a Jesus follower, right? If you're writing that phrase down, you got to be following somebody who's leading you, right? You're a Jesus follower. That's what that means, is that there's another headship. There's another authority. His name is Jesus. That you are a Christian. It's because you are identifying yourself less about here and more about who he is and what he has done. And that's what coming to know Jesus means, is to lay down your life, your independence, your freedom, and have your life aligned with Jesus alone, saying, I trust you alone, giving over your life and understanding that Jesus is full of authority. Think about Jesus' life. All the many times that people remarked, that dude has all authority. Think about when he taught. What did, he, what did they say? What was the description? He is the one that teaches with authority. When he does a miracle or he raises the dead, like that guy has authority. And then 
the main question, the reason he got put to death, the reason he got, you know, nailed to a cross is because he said that he had authority to forgive sins. And that was the statement. The fact that he was God and that he could forgive sins, that's what really put him, put him down. But Jesus does have authority. He has authority in teaching. He has authority over the cosmos. Everything is held together in Christ Jesus, Colossians 1 would say. And, but he also has the authority to, to, um, to forgive our sins. We are a great commission kind of people. Go you, go you therefore, right? Baptizing them, make, making disciples, teaching them to obey. We know the great commission. This is who we are. We are action-oriented. To go, make disciples, baptize, teach. And that's our mantra, man. We love that stuff, right? But then what we say is that you need to go, which is true. And you need to help be a part of the baptism services, which is true. You need to be in a discipling relationship, right? That's on, yes. You need to be teaching others to obey what I've commanded. That's true. The going and the baptizing and the making and the teaching, that's all true. And yet the Great Commission, we've, we've memorized that part. But we've forgotten that there are bookends to the Great Commission that we have memorized. We've, we've missed the most important parts. Before Jesus tells us to go and to make and to baptize and teach, do you know what he says? He says, all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's what he is telling us. Before we go and make and baptize and teach, the way you're going to do that is through an authority that does not belong to you. Who runs the church? It's Jesus. Who has the authority? It's him. And at the end, he tells us to go and do all of these wonderful things. He says, "Lo." Let me tell you, I will be with you until the end of the age. I'm going to go with you. I've got the authority. I have commissioned you, and you're not going to be by yourself. The idea of authority and power and structure is so very critical because it gets your heart right. It gets your heart right to be a dependent person rather than an independent person. For you to say, your will be done, Christ Jesus. For me to follow someone other than yourself. What a lousy person to follow, right? Someone who would talk to their kids that way, you'd follow him, right? So we are not, we're less independent and we're wanting to be a follower of Jesus who is right now, and this should be a devotional point for us, right now, he ascends talking about his authority. That's amazing, that's directional. Then he plateaus, right? He's sitting in heaven. And where is he sitting? On the right hand of the Father. That's a place of authority. He ascends talking about his authority. He sits in a place of authority, ruling, reigning, exercising. This is what he does. He's sitting on the right hand of the Father. But then he descends back to us. And what does he have on his thighs? It says that he has some, some, some things on, his, on both of his thighs. It may be on his robe. It may be on his thighs. We don't know. But it says that Jesus, he's coming back and it says, King of kings on one side and Lord of lords on the other. Christ Jesus is our authority. He is the one in which we subject ourselves to over and over and over and over again. And so now to the, the, the narrative. The idea that we get, where do we get this idea? And it comes from uh, Matthew. And this is, again, this is pre 
uh, sacrifice and, and a crucifixion. This is pre-resurrection and great commission. But Jesus is already telling us some great things. And now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They rattle off some pretty good answers. Oh, people say that some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Here's what we know. Here's what we've heard is that you have, you are probably a prophet, and you're probably better than all those guys, and those are pretty good dudes, right? But you're probably in that kind of eschaton, just this, in that, or not eschaton, in that uh, uh, arena of, of a prophet. But then he asks a very strong question in verse 15. He then says to them, but who do you say that I am? And that's the question for you and I. Who do you say that I am? He's saying, I've got to be more than a prophet. And I've got to be more than a religious leader. Because I'm more than that. So who do you say that I am? And this is a question for you and I. Before he gives the answer, you have to answer this question for yourself. Who do you say that Jesus is? Good guy? Maybe. Really good guy. Super religious, great teacher. I mean, all of these are options. But what is following here is super essential, and it supersedes all of those answers. Jesus doesn't want to be known as a religious leader or a good teacher or some phenom who's able to heal all kinds of and, and cure all kinds of diseases. That was part, but that's not whole. Who do you say that Jesus is? Jesus is begging you today for you to rest your identity in him. And that's why it's called trust. And that's why it's supernatural. supernatural. There's no way that you can do this on your own. It's Jesus who is able to whisper and like you need something else. So if you're feeling that this morning, I need something else. I cannot trust myself any longer. Look to Jesus, because the authority and the power in this question, who do you say that I am, is so very critical. Verse 16, Simon Peter says this, you are, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, Peter would say. This is really, really important. That who do you say? This, this Messiah of hope and this, this Messiah of, of, or the Christ of, of, of who will put all things together. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. He says, man, congratulations. That's amazing. And here's a little clarification. For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. The reason you were able to come to this conclusion is because it was given to you by another authority, not yourself. More exclamation marks to you and your heart. You can't even come to this kind of conclusion by yourself. Blessed are you, Peter. Not because of your Peterness, right? Not because you are blessed, Peter, but that you have been, you've heard the voice of God and you have pronounced correctly that I am the Messiah. The reason that Peter is blessed is not because his name is Peter. It's because he has heard from another authority. And he now, now, now says that that is true. That'll change us forever. 
if we understand this and we get along with this. And he says, blessed are you, um, Simon Barjana, for flesh, flesh and blood was not revealed to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Jesus answered and blessed are you, or I'm sorry, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my church, Jesus says. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is a huge, huge undertaking. That Jesus, Jesus is saying, I build my church. This is his. He is building it. I mean, he's using first person pronouns. He is the builder. This is what he does. He builds, he remakes uh, we were, if you're reading uh, the Community Bible reading plan with us, we were able to read, I think it was on Friday, this glorious message of Isaiah 61, this idea that all things are being put together in Jesus, right? Old Testament becoming true. The things that were broken are going to be bound. The things that are wrecked and ruined are actually going to be built up. This is Jesus' job. The carpenter of old is actually never losing his, his carpenter skills. He's always building. And what is he building? He's building his church. It's his. And in a remarkable way, he's then sharing it with Peter. And this is where we just, the, hopefully the air gets sucked out of the room. That Jesus in his building is actually sharing his keys to other people. He's actually asking other people to come with him on the journey. That's really remarkable. And who is he, who is he using? He's using Peter. Remember Peter? In just a few verses, this Peter is going to be said, Jesus is going to tell him, hey, Peter, by the way, um, you're going to deny me. And um, I'm going to die. So Peter, the one that's going, that Jesus is going to use, is going to deny Jesus. And in this foretelling of, I'm going to have to die, Peter immediately says, that cannot be so. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Who does Jesus use to build his church? A bunch of knuckleheads like you and me who deny him, Right? And are called bad names that we deserve. It's not us, y'all. It's not our power, y'all. It's not our skill. It's not our words. It's Jesus working through us and in us. In our brokenness. This is his church. Who is the senior pastor? Who is the lead pastor of Redstone Church? It's Jesus. He is building the church. And he continues to build. For 2,000 years, he continues to build. And we continue to worship because he is able to do that over and over and over again. I've gone too long, and I am sorry for that. Um, I've got many more pages of notes, but I'll stop. I'll stop. Jesus is the lead pastor of our church. He is the one who leads our church. Amen. And we worship him um, because someone who has such authority like that, shares it with us. 
and invites us to be a part of a great story. And the great story is the fact that he gave his life for us. Every week we come to this little table and we say to Jesus, thank you so much for building your church and how does he build his church through his sacrifice that he gave for us. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a a loaf of bread and he says, this is my body given for you. And then he breaks it to tell us how it was going to be given to us. It was going to be given to us by him becoming broken for us on our behalf. And if that wasn't graphic enough, he then takes a chalice of wine and he, and he shares it with his disciples. And he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. And in graphic terms, he says, poured out for you. Everywhere. Poured out for you. For the forgiveness of sins. The new covenant, the new people, the new community, the new church. Their identity is not in themselves, but it's under our lordship. It's under the leadership, the pastoring of Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. I will build my church and I'll start through the idea that I will submit myself under the Father's authority. I will give myself as a ransom for you. And now, in just unbelievable terms, I will share it with knuckleheads like you and I. And so as a corporate gathering of just people who bite and say things and kick and spit, get our feelings hurt or super sensitive, unable to forgive, he says, my church, y'all are my people. And that's why he's welcoming him, us to his table. Because he knew what he was giving, getting himself into. He knew who we were. But he wanted to change us. He wanted us to become a redeemed people who would look more like him than ourselves. So as we walk toward this table, have that in our mind. That I am a follower of Jesus. I am a person under authority. And so let's do that now. So go ahead and stand. Um, I'm going to pray for us. And then we've got men all around the room uh, that are ready to serve you communion. Probably in these four corners um, is how we'll, we'll kind of uh, space out. So just know that these stations are for you. Uh, this, this meal is for those who believe in Jesus. And so if you believe in Jesus this morning, um, come and partake because Jesus gives this gladly. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we would encourage you to, to, to have a conversation with Jesus now, potentially saying, I want to follow you. Or come and find uh, myself or Andrew Becker, any of the guys up here, myself, Jerry Williams, Daniel McIntosh, any, anybody around here is willing to have a conversation with you and help you to find or, or start a relationship with Jesus. But let me pray for us. God, as we walk toward these tables, help us to walk in faith. As we walk down the aisles toward a commitment toward you, help us to have this walk and have these steps of faith. As we respond to Jesus this morning, may we respond to you in worship and glory that you have done this for us. We ask this in your good name. Amen.